This is Suzanne Atkinson with Try to Listen, the podcast for curious triathletes. Each episode features an interview with an athlete, coach, or scientist whose passion lies in triathlon. It's my job to uncover their story. Hi there, this is Suzanne with Try to Listen. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, Today I have the pleasure of introducing Joella Baker. Joella is a local triathlon coach in Zelenopal, Pennsylvania, which is only about a 45-minute drive north of where I am. And I had the pleasure to get to know her maybe seven, eight years ago. I can't quite remember. Uh, We met for the first time at about mile 24 of the Pittsburgh Marathon. She set up a table right at the last turn of the marathon, and she and several volunteers on her team were cheering wildly for everyone that came by. I happened to be riding my bike to help escort runners into the the end of the marathon, and it was about the six-hour mark at that point, so everyone was kind of tired and punchy. And I rode by the corner. I heard all the screaming and jumping around. I looked over, and I see this woman dressed in a USA Triathlon National Team triathlon suit with the name Baker across the front. And I thought, hmm, there's only one person that that can be. So I introduced myself from a block away, shouting at her as I rode past, and she shouted back. Um, And uh, ever since then, we've maintained a pretty close friendship and taken advantage of opportunities to coach together. I spend as much time as I'm able to during the summers volunteering at her youth triathlon camps and traveling to nationals with her team. And uh, in turn, I learn a lot about her from organization and managing kids. And of course, I always get new ideas when I watch other coaches work. Joella is a level two triathlon coach. She's a certified race director. She hosts an entire race series here in Western Pennsylvania over the summer. She hosts a weekly open water swim event in Lake Arthur, which is quite an accomplishment. There's about 70 to 80 triathletes that show up weekly for that event. Joella has recently won the 2019 Jeff Jewell Spirit of Multisport Award from USA Triathlon, so that's quite an honor as well. In 2001, Joella was diagnosed with lupus. Lupus is an autoimmune disorder that causes symptoms including pain and fatigue, among other things. Joella had been a competitive athlete in college as well as a marathoner, so she had quite a change in her lifestyle at that time. But after her initial round of treatment for lupus, she was able to get herself moving again, and with the help of other friends who helped keep her motivated and accountable, she fought her way back. She did the Pittsburgh Marathon in 2002, only a year after her diagnosis. Since then, she's done an additional 15 marathons, five ultramarathons, 18 Ironmans, an Ironman 70.3, and she's represented Team USA at six long course triathlon world championships. So I hope you enjoy getting to know Joella as much as I have. Hi there. Thanks for joining me today. Um, Today I have the wonderful pleasure of speaking with Joella Baker. Uh, She is the founder of Get Fit Families in Zelenopal, Pennsylvania. Hi, Joella. How are you? 
good Tuesday, and how are you today? I'm doing well. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you about all sorts of stuff triathlon, uh, but mostly I think our listeners will be interested in about how the uh, coronavirus pandemic is impacting our triathlon and racing season. Um, what do you think about those uh, those topics for our chat? That sounds great. Yeah, we're definitely feeling the impact here in Western Pennsylvania and across the country right now. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know Joella, um, I don't even know where to start with all of her accomplishments. But one of the most impressive ones to me is that she has managed to be a race director in southwestern Pennsylvania for many, many, many years. Um, And she runs uh, uh, quite a number of not only triathlon events, but also local 5Ks, um, uh, ninja style races for teens that her son organizes, um, and a weekly open water swim at a uh, state park near us. Um, so, Joella, what does your current season look like? Actually, right now, we have no idea. Um, I wish I could give people answers. Every day I'm getting multiple emails from people asking about cancellations and refunds and, you know, everything you can imagine from a racing standpoint. And right now, I literally cannot give people answers because... Yeah. Right now, we're waiting till the end of the month, and that's what the state parks right now have everything closed down till April 30th, and then after that, they're going to make a decision about May. Mm-hmm. Um, we just got the announcement this morning that the schools are closed um, for the rest of the school year, which I think we all knew was probably coming anyway. Yeah, I saw that. And I know... Yeah, and I know that a lot of uh, races are already canceled for May. Uh, we have not officially canceled our May events, but I you know, anticipate that it will be postponed. But our goal is not to cancel, mm-hmm. but to postpone our May race. And hopefully by middle of June or beginning of July, we can actually hold that event and then still hold our fall race in September. And we're actually considering holding a race in October now, a trap on in October up at the park mm-hmm. if we're able to. Because we, we want to offer our local triathlon community the opportunity to race. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what got you started in, um, about setting up your first race? What made you want to do that? And what's, what's given you the passion to continue this for so long with so many events and so many people that are relying on you? Well, I I think a lot of people don't realize my background. I got my master's degree at the University of Pittsburgh and um, I went for public policy, but I specialized in nonprofit management mm-hmm. and environmental policy. So I took classes, like my one of my classes that I took was how to organize an event. And I actually organized a race down at Brady's Run Park for a nonprofit organization when I was in grad school. Oh, I didn't know that. And that was the first, yeah, that was the first race that I put on. It was a, a four-mile trail run down at Brady's Run Park, and mm-hmm. it raised a lot of money for a local organization down there. Yeah. And we ended up holding it for several years, which was really great. Yeah, that's and great. Yeah, so from there, um, I went on to Blade Run Lutheran Services in Zillianople, and I started um, working at their therapeutic animal and horticulture program there, and we started a 5K there called the Run for the Animals that raised money for that program. And then after working in the program for a few years, I was promoted to director of development and did all of their fundraising and events uh, there. And then I started my own company shortly after I left there called Events Plus Management and Consulting, which um, I still have the company open. I just don't really work under it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I organized events 
across the area, um, including I, I did organize the Heartwood Show Jumping Festival one year, and I put on tons of golf outings and, you know, different events um, mm-hmm. from gay ones to, you know, races. But uh, once I started to get to families and really saw a need for having a local triathlon and build a relationship with Marine State Park, that's where I, you know, really got into organizing local races and, you know, building, you know, a great opportunity for the triathlon community in Western Pennsylvania. And, you know, starting Mighty Moraine, you know, and starting, you know, our open water swims and, you know, putting on local 5Ks and raising money for my youth triathlon team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now it's just really turned into, I think I organized those team events you know, throughout the year, so basically one a month or more. Mm-hmm. And I have different local nonprofits who contact me, and they ask me to put on an event for them, or I do consulting for local races, and I do a lot of stuff with uh, the Butler County Family YMCA, like the Butler Road Race, and I'm supposed to help them organize their triathlon this year up in Marine State Park as well, which we're hoping that we can still have in July. Yeah. So, again, you know, I'm just... You know, whatever people need, I'm I'm here for the community, and I'm here especially for the triathlon community to make sure that we continue to have really good events. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, I never realized that you had that background, and that certainly explains why. Um, I mean, you're you're probably skillful at it because it's uh something that you work hard at to d- develop those skills. But I didn't realize the the background you had prior to starting the triathlon events. Right. Yeah. Most people they're like, you know, how did you go to school for? political science and you know you're doing what you're doing and I'm like well I'm honestly doing exactly what I went to school for so yeah that must be Um, satisfying part no but yeah the coaching part is just more because of my passion and my love for the sports yeah so how did you get involved in triathlon um so I whenever I was at Duquesne University I ran cross country I did indoor and outdoor track and swimming at Duquesne so um, it was just like a natural fit. My sister, uh, the one summer, said, hey, I'm going up to um, to Burlington, Vermont, and I'm going to do this triathlon. And I said, okay, well, I never rode a bike. I mean, I grew up on a horse, so I had to learn how to ride a bike at 18 years old. And I was literally <laughs> last place at that race. I thought I was going to die. I walked uh-huh. up every hill on my bike. and You know, but I finished, and I actually loved it. And I found it a great way to stay in shape um, in the summertime while I was, you know, doing everything I needed to for Duquesne and and filling those commitments. And, you know, it just, you know, became just part of my life, like triathlon does with so many people. And, you know, I don't know if you remember back in the day, but the Bud Light Triathlon series at USA Triathlon used to put on, you know, throughout the country. And I actually went around, like, the East Coast and did all of those triathlons throughout the summer. So, you know, I've been to Norfolk, Virginia, and, you know, Delaware, and all over the place, um, you know, racing, uh, you know, with the Bud Light Triathlon Series, and that was a lot of fun, just, you know, going around all those races, so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's pretty much how I got into it, but it, it was just a way to stay in shape for everything I did at UK. Yeah. Um, I, I remember distinctly the first time that I met you, it was at the, uh, Pittsburgh marathon, probably mile, um, 25 and three quarters. Oh, you're, right. <laughs> you're at a table downtown. It was, I, I remember it was the last, uh, right hand 90 degree turn before the, uh, the finishing 
portion of the race. And you were wearing um, uh, Get Fit Family uh, triathlon uniform. Uh, you had all sorts of volunteers at your table. All of you are jumping up and down, screaming, cheering for everybody. Um, and I thought, who is this crazy woman? <laughs> what is she doing here? And, uh, you know, in retrospect, I just realized that that's kind of your, your enthusiasm for your athletes and for anyone who's participating um, is just uh, massive. And I think that's part of why, um, why this is such a natural fit for you. You get to do what you were trained for. You get to do something that's your passion. And you get to meet all kinds of people who, um, who honestly rely on your events uh, to fulfill their, their season. Yeah, exactly. And I, I remember that day very well, too. You were riding around on your bike, and so I just kept seeing you go back and forth and back and forth. And I was like, I just think I'm the same thing. I'm like, well, who's this person? I just keep seeing on this bike. And then finally we had a few minutes to chat, which was great. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, you and I both have that same passion, and I think that's why we get along so great. We built such a great relationship in, you know, coaching mentorship that, you know, we have the same goals and the same philosophies and we're in this for our athletes and for every athlete out there. We're not just in this for ourselves. And mm-hmm. that's why I think we're so successful in, in doing as well as we are, you know, with what we do. Yeah. Well, um, the one thing that I was um, especially appreciative of, and I, and I didn't really realize it until two or three years into the events, was the uh, open water swims that you had set up at Moraine State Park. Um, around that time, I was uh, also wanting to set up some open water swims, but you had uh, a relationship already built with the state park. Um, can you talk a, bit, a little bit about that relationship building and uh, what it requires uh, in terms of keeping events running? Uh, definitely. So, I mean, obviously I started Mighty Moraine and everybody, you know, really embraced that race up there. And I started to build a relationship with Jake Wyland, who at the time was our, um, he was our head park ranger up at Moraine State Park. He's now actually the park ranger uh, down at, uh, the point, at a point park down in Pittsburgh. But uh, Jake and I just started talking. We started working on a great relationship and you know, he came to me at one point and he said, we, we have a problem. We have people coming up to Marine State Park who think that they can just swim out in the middle of the lake and it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. And he said, I need a way to control this. And I said, okay. I, I was like, well, how can I help? And he said, I need somebody who's willing to set up an open water swim maybe every month or something. And I said, well, what about every week? Uh-huh. He's like, really? And I was like, yeah. I said, you know, why don't we just pick a day and every week we'll set up an open water swim and, you know, we can, you know, I'll charge people, I'll donate money, you know, from the swim back to the park and, you know, we'll use it to, you know, beautify the park or whatever you guys need. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he loved the idea and that's really how it started. And I know that they've done They've been able to buy supplies for their safety boat. They've been able to, you know, build different things in for their, um, for the park and for Porter's Cove and stuff that we need uh, in terms of being able to do this safely. And we actually just wrote a grant um, to Butler County Tourism for $5,000 to actually add a whole sandy beach area uh, down at Porter's Cove and oh, to have wow. it a no fishing spot so that we have a safer place for the swimmers to enter and exit. Um, it would be over by the pier. Mm-hmm. You know, so those are the kinds of things that we're now doing. I now work with um, 
with Brian Flores over at the park, and his wife, Linus, is an open water swimmer, and she has volunteered and has helped me at multiple open water swims out of Porter's Cove. And, you know, that relationship is just continuing, and we just, every year, we're like, okay, what can we do to make the park better and make it more friendly and mm-hmm. open to kayakers and paddleboarders and swimmers? And yeah. and now, you know, we did this grant. Now we just don't know what, what's going to happen with the grant if we're even going to get it awarded. And if we do, you know, if we're going to be able to make those improvements this year or if it's going to have to wait until next year. So Sure. Um, but, yeah, that's, I mean, it, it takes a lot. I mean, and it's mostly trust. I mean, you know, when I went to them, I, they were like, well, how are you going to do this to make sure people are safe? So I invested in swim buoys. I talked to lifeguards. I talked to volunteers who would kayak. And, you know, I said, this is how I want to do it. I said, USAT requires you have one lifeguard for every 50 people in the water. I said, I don't even know if we'll get 50 people, you know, <laughs> and now sometimes we have 50, 75, whatever, you mm-hmm. know, swimming there. And I said, so this is what USAT requires. I said, if we get a sanction through them, then, you know, they cover the insurance, which is great, but people will have to buy the insurance. So, you know, we went through that whole process, and then they said, well, how are you going to track it? So then that's when I started the, okay, let's do a sign-in and sign-out sheet. Mm -hmm. And as people know who have been to my open water swims, if they don't (laughs) sign out, I'm calling them and saying, are you out of the water, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think anyone forgets um, to sign out more than once. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, because I always call them, and then they feel really guilty because they're like, I'm so sorry you had to call me. <laughs> um, but that's our way of making sure that everybody's safe and out, you yeah. know. And so I think once we started the show, hey, yeah, we are serious about this. And then they started seeing how many people were showing up and, mm-hmm. you know, it, what it was offering to our community. Then they really bought into it. And then just... um Three years ago, I signed a 10-year contract with them for the open water swims in my races. So um, that was a, a really big deal for me from a race director standpoint to know that they trusted in what I was doing so much that they wanted to sign a 10-year contract with me. Yeah, I, that's fantastic. Um, I remember about the time when you when you started them, um, you know, kind of before or it was right about the time that I met you or I knew who you were. Um, th- there weren't a lot of places to do open water swimming in the area. Um, I think that, uh, it, it's legal to swim in the rivers in Pittsburgh, but it's not safe, uh, necessarily, unless you have some sort of organization, um, or, you know, organized people, not like a company organizing it, but, you know, and, and they're not real clean and they're kind of smelly and there's a lot of boat traffic. Um, so up at, uh, Lake Arthur, they have designated swim areas. I think there's two, um, sort of swimming beaches that are roped off. Um, and they're pretty big, but as a triathlete wanting to go and train for, I think I was training for Alcatraz at that time. Um, it's kind of frustrating to be stuck in this hundred meter long roped in area. Um, and I remember I would get just on the outside of it so that I wouldn't have to worry about kids running into me. Um, but with the weekly open water swims that are reliable, they happen every single week from early May, um, through September and sometimes October, except for this year, uh, it's such a valuable resource and, and, um, people don't have to worry about finding a place to open water swim. They just have to get their, get themselves there during the, uh, the open, uh, open swim time period. Correct. And, um, what a lot of people don't know is the park they consult with me again last year, um, regarding the South shore. So if you ever go to the South shore and Moraine, that's the longer of the swim areas. And they said, you know, if we were going to build this to make it, you know, more 
accessible to your type of people and people <laughs> who want to get swimming in. They were like, what do we need to do? And I said, it needs to be measured. I said, if people know, okay, if I swim out, it's going to be 50 meters. And if I swim across, it's going to be 200 meters. Mm-hmm. And I know Joella's race is 750 meters, you know, or 800 meters, basically. Mm-hmm. You know that I know, okay, if I swim this four times, then I have my distance in. Mm-hmm. You know, I said people want that mental note of, okay, this is how far I'm going. Even though we all have watches. We all know when you're in the water, the watches don't always calculate everything correctly. So we talked about that last year and um, what they were supposed to do this year, and I don't know if it it is going to happen with everything going on, is they're supposed to extend that out to 50 meters, that Mm -hmm. area, and make it 200 meters long. That's great. And then what they want to do is actually put in a couple of lane lines at the end so Mm -hmm. that people who are there for recreation can be in that large area, and then they'll have a couple separate lanes out there that people can just swim in. Oh, that's great. great. I really love to hear that. Um, I I think there might be something similar at um, Raccoon Creek State Park. Aren't there, isn't there a swim lane out there? Yeah, I think so, yes. um, Yeah, yeah, I just really like to see that sort of thing supported so that people um, don't have to be swimming in the middle of Lake Arthur when there's no... uh, when you're not allowed to do that. I think it's kind of ironic that the whole reason the park approached you is because people were doing something that was illegal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you can get a $500 fine. You know, yeah. I tell people all the time <laughs> and, and people are always like, well, what if I just went by myself? And I said, listen, I said, you can't. I said, because bad things can happen in open water if you are by yourself. Yeah. But what if I have a kayaker beside me? I said, well, then you have to get a permit. And I guarantee you, if you go to them, they're going to say, we're not going to issue you a permit because we already have these opportunities available to you. Right. So, and and they were like, well, what if I just go and do it? I said, then I'm telling you now, <laughs> do not mention my name because I'm telling you, if you do, and you say that I said it was okay, mm-hmm. then I'm going to get into a lot of trouble. So just say, well, Joella said that I might get fined, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. because, <laughs> you know, you could get in a lot of trouble. Uh, so I just want people to know, one, it's not safe. You should never open water swim by yourself. Even if you do have a kayaker beside you, mm-hmm. you know, just bad things can happen out in the middle of water without the right people really watching you and a certified lifeguard and things like that. But in addition to that, we have a system set up and we're doing this for our community. You don't need to go at different times. And I offer weekend swims and I offer other opportunities for people to go, but I just want people to be safe. I mean, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I really personally, I really appreciate it. And I know that the whole Southwestern, uh, PA triathlon community appreciates it as well. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so I want to talk to you a little bit or ask you some questions about your youth program. Um, I think this is one of the other amazing things about Joella Baker <laughs> is the the size of the youth program. And um, I, I have some of my own thoughts about some reasons why it might be successful. But um, can you tell me a little bit about what, what Get Fit Families is how it started, and how your youth program developed. Yeah, so I really started, it was back when my son was born, uh, and he was about four or five years old, and I was, you know, taking him to preschool, and I was sitting on the board for the preschool, of course, and 
sitting around talking to a bunch of moms, and one of the common themes with a lot of these moms is that they were nervous about going to a gym. They didn't feel comfortable. They felt out of place. And mm-hmm. this is before the YMCA in our area was open. And I was like, you know, why are these women so nervous about this? <laughs> going out and trying to exercise. Uh-huh. And a lot of it was just the unknown, and it was a packet. A lot of them were stay-at-home moms, and they just didn't have access. So I was like, I should just start something where I get together with some of these moms, and, you know, whether we're out walking or strollers or doing whatever, you know, that we're getting out and being active. And so I created my company uh, actually in 2009 when Zachary was about six years old is when the Pets and Families officially came about, but prior to that, you know, I just started some little local running groups and things like that, that I just was getting, you know, getting together with different people and just trying to get them active. And when Zachary was five, so in 2008, he did his first travel and it's the very noble community park. And he just had so much fun and just loved it so much. So... Later that summer, I just got a few kids together at Zoe Park and did like a little mini camp for triathlon, just kind of teaching young kids basic skills about triathlon. And people started to hear about it and started asking about it. And I was like, well, maybe I'm on to something. So mm-hmm. the next year, I think I had two camps, you know, two weeks of camp and, you know, probably had about six or seven kids in each camp. And you know, we kind of had our own little team started, and then they went to the triathlons, and we saw some success with the kids because they knew how to get through transition better than other kids did, or they knew how to put their shoes on and yeah. their helmets <laughs> on, and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and back then, like, all of our kids were maybe, like, 8 to 10 years old, you know, super young. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, it just, you know, caught on. I mean, parents just started hearing about it. They thought it was, like, a unique type of a camp. And it turned into being like a week long, or not a week long, but the entire summer. Like I ended up having, I think, like five or six weeks of camp that uh-huh. I started having and getting anywhere from 24 to 30 kids at the camps. And my cross-country camp would have 50 to 60 people at it and, you know, tied it in with St. Gregory's cross-country and, you know, mm-hmm. getting more of the diocesan schools involved with that. And then, of course, more triathlon kids came from there. And then I started talking to the YMCA, and I'm like, listen, you know, I have kids that are actually really good at this sport, but (laughs) I need a place to train in the wintertime. You know, is there a way we could get, you know, a lane at the pool a couple days a week or something? So we started at the Y in the winter for like three days a week, and, you know, we would do different things there, mostly swimming. And now we train at the YMCA six days a week, Monday through Saturday. We have... (laughs) Uh, 50 kids in the program at the YMCA, 65 officially on our team. Uh, we've been uh, second in the nation at nationals the last two years, and our elite team was sixth in the nation last year. And we have national champions on our team and kids qualifying for worlds and, you know, competing across the world. And, you know, it's just crazy. Like, I mean, no, <laughs> if anybody would have told me when Zach was five that this is, you know, what I'd be doing as my full-time job. I was like, no, you're crazy. This would never uh-huh. take off. But <laughs> it has. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. That's, I have really enjoyed being able to volunteer at, um, during some of your summer camps and traveling with the team. And I think I'm most impressed by the cohesiveness of everything um, and recognizing that it just doesn't happen uh, because people want it to. It happens because of the amount of time and hard work and effort that that you're constantly putting into every 
uh, every child that shows up, every set of parents, every volunteer. Um, I don't know how you have that much time in the day or room in your brain to manage all these different people, but it seems to come um, from the outside looking in, it seems like it comes naturally for you. Um, And again, just like the open water swims and triathlons, it's another thing that I really appreciate is having someone locally and knowing someone that has uh, developed such a successful program, um, you know, not necessarily measured by how well kids are finishing at nationals, but by how much fun kids have and how um, the the role that it fills in their summers um, and the experience that you're giving to a lot of kids who may never try these sports. No, I appreciate that. And, you know, the kids love having you around, so they're always <laughs> asking when you're coming back and doing stuff. And, uh, yeah, so we're, we every year we hope, oh, gosh, is Coach Suzanne coming back? Is she going to keep us this year? Because every time I'm around you, I learn something new. And, you know, hopefully it's vice versa. You know, I think we, we kind of feed off of each other. But, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's just like anything else. I mean, you're the same way with your athletes, you know. I, I see you with Kirsten and different people like that, but... You know, you know these people inside and out. You know so much about them. And the only way you can be a really good, successful coach is to know how these people need to be coached. Um, You know, it has to be so individual and it has to be so personal. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I have a plan that I have for all of the kids. And for the most part, they're doing the same workouts every day. But, you know, if a kid shows up at practice and you can just tell they're having a bad day or they just don't feel great or you know, they look tired that day, then, you know, we need as coaches to be able to adapt and not just say, oh, well, you still have to go and do the workout. Mm -hmm. You know, no, you know, change that workout for that kid that day, make it easier, Mm -hmm. tell them to go home or whatever you need to do. And once I started doing that and really learning, you know, how my athletes picked and what, you know, made them successful, then our whole team became more successful and the kids started to trust me more and to yeah. understand that I really was looking out for them. And it's the same with my adults, you know, if an adult contacts me, because I'm just not feeling it today. And I'm like, then take a day off, you know, yeah. <laughs> you need to listen to your body. You need to understand what you need as an athlete. Yeah. And um, I appreciate that kind of feedback. Like I tell the kids, the older you get, the more you need to communicate with me as to what you think you need as an athlete. You know, I know what I think you need. Mm-hmm. But there might be something else going on in your life, you know, whether it's studying for the SATs or worrying about getting into college or, you know, I'm I'm dealing with all this new stuff because my athletes are getting older now. And, right. you know, with, with Zach looking at schools right now and trying to figure out what he wants to do with the rest of his life, you know, I'm learning how to fill out all the NCAA stuff and mm-hmm. fill out all the, you know, college stuff with them. And that's yeah. a whole nother level of things that we're now doing for our athletes and you know, now I'm setting up PowerPoint presentations for each kid who wants to go to college to be an athlete, and it's something that they can send off to their coaches, and mm. they have a template that we fill up for these kids, and wow. so it's just another added thing that our, you know, that our company is doing to take these kids to the next level and help them reach their goals. And again, when, every time I get information from these kids, like, some of them will send me something. They'll be like, I didn't know you were in Spanish club or I didn't know you, <laughs> you know, were on mock trial or the debate team. Like, you know, these yeah. kids fit so much into their day mm-hmm. and they're still spending three hours a day with me every day at the YMCA. And I'm like, how do you fit all this in? No wonder why you're tired, you know? <laughs> right. Um, right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's crazy. And, you know, Zach, you know, what he's doing when forming his own events and, 
volunteering for the community and donating money back. You know, other kids on the team are seeing this and they're stepping up and they're volunteering and doing stuff for their community or the church. And, yeah, you I, know, that's what it's all about. It's not just about travel. It's right. about being just great people and, mm-hmm. you know, you know, giving back and doing more, you know, with your life and just going to school every day. Yeah. I love to hear stories like that. And I can, I can see that in the years that I've known your kids and known your son. I mean, um, the, the fact that you're so passionate about what you do and you're good at what you do, it just has this trickle down effect with everybody, with the parents and with the kids. Um, you know, when I'm, uh, hanging out at the, uh, at nationals or, or, uh, with your team and there's parents there, uh, the feeling that I get from the parents about how much they appreciate the program and how much trust they have in you. They're 100% relaxed having you watch their kids for, um, you know, a a huge part of their summer. Um, and, and again, those are relationship building skills that are are extremely valuable. I agree. And, you know, and the coaches that I bring in to help, whether it's you or, you know, Mitch was, you know, working with us and Jen and, you know, all these other coaches, Lee, you know, these people, you know, I bring in people who replicate what I do and, mm-hmm. you know, and they have to have the same passion. And I truly believe in bringing, you know, other coaches in. And I have a lot of parent coaches, um, like Matt Sowers has really taken on our strength training this year. And Michelle Varlada, who is the preschool teacher, you know, so having her work with our younger kids and Lee Hutman, um, who we brought in this year, uh, she's a pediatric physical therapist. You know, mm-hmm. so having her there and Jen West um, has a background in nursing. You know, so we're bringing these people in who have knowledge outside of what I have knowledge in. Yeah. You know, so they can help in a lot of different ways uh, with the kids. Um, plus, they have kids in the program, so they have a vested interest in seeing everything, mm-hmm. you know, succeed and all of that. But, you know, these coaches have been phenomenal, uh, this new group that I've coming in and you know, we're just, we're building such a strong program and we have, I mean, we have six-year-olds in our program this year who <laughs> are just doing phenomenal, these two little twins. And I love, so cute. And I love the little yeah, ones. They're, yeah, and they're hoping to do nationals this year and they've been <laughs> training really hard and doing a great job. And, mm-hmm. you know, just seeing those young kids still coming into the program, you know, when Zach started this when he was six years old. Yeah. And now I have these new six year olds in here. And that's great. It's, it's really wonderful. Yeah. Um, so you're, you know, the, the model that you've developed, um, I don't, I don't even know if it's fair to call it a model. It just has sort of organically grown into a, um, something that works for you guys. Is this, um, something that is similar to what other youth programs are doing around the country with coaches that you've met or is everyone unique? I think everyone's unique. I mean, there's some of the programs out there. I mean, we're all doing amazing things. I respect the other coaches um, throughout the country so much for what they're doing. You know, you have, you know, Z3 and Dorfman, you have, you know, all these really, really big teams across the country, um, multi-sport explosion. I mean, and they're, the athletes that they're working with are just amazing and the high level of all of these kids across the country is just so impressive. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so different. Like, I don't think most of the coaches see the kids as much as I do. I mean, we are so unique in that we have, and I've had many collegiate coaches contact me and say, how do you have so many kids that are high caliber that you have 
in such a small area of Western Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like, I really don't. I, I don't even know how to answer that. Yeah. Because, um, you know, you go to Z3, and I think there are, like, five different states, you know, that kids are coming from. And, you yeah. know, um, a lot of coaches do things by Skype, you know. So what's going on right now with all the virtual training, a lot of these coaches have been doing that for so long. For me, this is all new. You know, having yeah. to put videos together and having to do Zoom meetings and, you know, FaceTime and all of that, that's not how I coach. I'm a one-on-one, you know, I want to yeah. see people. I want to give them high fives and I want to, you know, <laughs> be able to demonstrate things in front of them and explain yep. things and work on skills. And now I'm learning how to run my business completely different than how I used to. Yeah. And so I'm learning from these other coaches who have been doing it this way, who, you know, once a week, you know, Matt Valio, I know they do once a week uh, Skype, you know, bike workouts and things like that, which is awesome. But, you know, I'm trying to learn how to do that kind of stuff now. Yeah. And, you know, again, everybody has their own way of doing things and their own way of connecting with their athletes and we're all successful at it, you know, but it doesn't mean that there's a model that's going to work for everyone. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to shift gears here as we sort of wind down the interview and talk um, as much as you're comfortable about yourself and um, some of the uh, personal challenges you have in terms of your um, autoimmune um, medical conditions and uh, how has that impacted you as an athlete and as a coach and any advice that you have for uh, other people with any kind of medical condition, um, whether it's autoimmune or arthritis or, um, or anything really. Um, so let me just break it down a little bit. Is it okay if we talk a little bit about your lupus? Oh yeah, absolutely. All right. And, and also you are, um, you have celiac disease, right? Yeah, I have, um, currently I'm diagnosed with lupus, celiac, Raynaud's, vasculitis. I think that's it. I have asthma too. So that's, that one's pretty common too. Yeah. Yeah. And you're married to a baker, which I think is ironic. Your last name is Baker and you have celiac disease. (laughs) I know. And I can't eat any of the stuff and he puts it on Facebook and everybody asks me, how is this? And I'm like, well, everybody tells me it's really good, but I can't try it. Uh, Does he make any Um, gluten-free stuff? He can't. Um, yeah, his bakery, yeah, there's no to way. Retool. They have to have a whole separate facility. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so you're you're a very successful triathlete yourself. You've been to Worlds. Um, and t- tell me about uh, what it's like to try and maintain consistent training, um, not only as a coach with as busy as you are, but uh, when some of these conditions flare up, particularly the lupus, um, because I know that that's something um, that uh, I, I perceive that people have less control over. You know, certainly someone has control for the most part about whether they eat something that contains gluten uh, most of the time. But other things flare up. Um, you know, how do you approach those time periods when your body is not um, agreeing with you? Well, I mean, luckily I get very clear signs when my lupus is going to flare up. Um, I get really bad sores in my nose and my mouth. And I get very fatigued and I get a rash. So I get very specific symptoms when I'm going into a flare-up. Mm-hmm. And I kind of know, okay, I've got to start a prednisone taper. I've got to, you know, talk to my doctor. I've got to figure out, you know, where do I need to start on my prednisone taper? And, 
you know, get things going to get this back under control. Um, I am on a new drug, Benlista. It's an injectable. I take it once a week. Um, mm -hmm. I am on Plaquenil, which I know is the hot drug right oh, now. Oh, it is. You're like and, guaranteed uh, not yeah. to get COVID. That's not actually true. Yeah. I just, that, that's a joke. It may be true. We just don't know. <laughs> we don't know yet if there's right. enough data. And I, I just had a, one of my athletes contact me last night. He's like, are you on this drug? So that means you won't get it. And I'm like, I don't know. I said, there's so many mixed things out there. And I said, if I go into a lupus flare-up, then regardless of what I'm on, I'm still going to be more susceptible to catching something. So, yeah. you know, um, so right now just keeping myself healthy is a big thing. But, you know, when you have an autoimmune disease or you're overcoming cancer or you're going through any type of treatment for anything that you're doing, uh, the best advice I can give, and I talked about this a little bit earlier, is you have to listen to your body. And you have to know what are your flare-ups, you know, what are the things that cause a flare-up, you know, what, you know, what could put you over the edge. And, you know, I mean, I've trained for Ironman, I've trained for long course worlds, and you know, it's easy to get fatigued and to get tired and, you know, you all, everybody wants to follow that training plan perfectly. And, yeah. <clears throat> you know, my athletes obsess about their training plans and I tell people all the time, I say, you know, if you miss a workout, you miss the workout, go to the next day. You know, mm -hmm. like you can't, everybody's like, well, I've got to make up that workout. And I'm like, <laughs> no, you don't. Like, you know, unless you're a professional athlete and you're taking naps every day, which I guess we all can do kind of now, but, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you're not getting the recovery that most people can get that you can follow everything so rigidly. Mm -hmm. And you have to be flexible. You have to understand that you need day off, days off and recovery is just as important as the workouts. And you have to understand when your body needs to shut down. Mm -hmm. And, that's probably my best advice. I mean, you just, you've got to stay on your medications. You've got to do what your doctors tell you to do. You've got to follow a good diet. You know, you have to drink a lot of water and you have to do everything as well as you possibly can to make sure that you stay as healthy as you can. And mm -hmm. that's really all you can do. Um, there's no magic formula. Uh, I do tell people all the time, don't give up. You know, just because you've been diagnosed with something doesn't mean it's the end of the world. You know, you've just got to figure out how to make it work for you. Yeah. And so many people, it's easy to get stuck in the woe is me and feel sorry for yourself and get depressed. And I went through all of that when I was first diagnosed with this. I was training for the Las Vegas Marathon at the time, and I stood up out of bed and fell to the ground. I mean, I couldn't mm -hmm. even stand up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it took me, they wouldn't let me do anything for about nine months. And finally, I was like, I've got to go out and try to run, and I couldn't even run a mile. Yeah. You know, so to go from training for a marathon to not being able to run a mile was hard. Yeah. And it took a lot of friends and a lot of people to get me out of bed in the morning, make sure I got outside, make sure I got moving. And when you wake up in the morning, and I've actually done a couple of videos since this all started, the first thing you should do when you get out of a, out of bed in the morning is just do something to get yourself moving. Whether you go out for a 15-minute walk or you take the dog for a walk or you do a stretching routine or a small strength workout or whatever it is, do something to wake your body up. Don't just sit down at your computer or have the kids sit down and start doing full work. It's going to help your mind. It's going to help your body. And, you know, I just really, really recommend that everybody do something. I've been waking up and meeting a couple of uh, people that, you know, we've all been kind of together since it's all started. 
and we've been running, you know, at 7.30, 7.45 each morning. Yeah. Every day we get there, we're like, oh, it's Groundhog Day again. We're seeing the same <laughs> people doing the same route. You're doing the same thing. Uh-huh. But it's okay, you know, because it's our, you know, it's how we're kind of keeping our sanity. And, you know, we find ourselves talking about the same stuff and what we heard on the news and, yeah. you know, what the new updates are. And, you know, it's, it is what it is. But, you know, right now, just... Whatever everybody does, listen to your body, stay moving, stay active, eat healthy, and everything's going to be okay. <laughs> That's fantastic advice. <clears throat> um, I chuckled a little bit when you mentioned Groundhog's Day because every single time I drive through Zelianople, which is where your um, program is based out of, I think of um, the movie Groundhog's Day and Punxsutawney. Uh, so if, <laughs> if anyone is listening to this podcast, um, in order to appreciate um, how... Uh, how small the area is that Joelle has based her um, her her training group out of, and how impressive it is she has this many kids. Just think of that movie Groundhog's Day and that little tiny town of Punxsutawney. Uh, it's not too far away from from either of us, but um, it, it's just really impressive that the uh, kind of the magnetism that your program has um, for these kids. Um, I always like to get some uh, favorite workouts from the people that I interview. I think that if uh, someone comes away and says, oh, Joella Baker's favorite track workout is XYZ, people like people really enjoy going out and, and adding some of those things. Cause, so could you give me like one, a favorite swim, a favorite bike, and a favorite run? It wouldn't have to be a whole workout. It could just be like a set, something that's interesting and challenging. Yeah, um, well, one of my favorites is, you know, um, it's my brick workout. I do this um, really fun brick workout where you start off usually on the bike and you get warmed up and then you do maybe, so you might do two or three miles on the bike and then you get off and you run a mile mm -hmm. at like a, just a moderate pace. And then the next bike that you do could be two miles, you in a, a two miles hard and then you get off and run another mile at your 5K mm -hmm. pace. And then you bike another two miles hard, and then you run another mile. Uh -huh. And depending on, you know, the distance, like if you're training for an Ironman, I might have you do, you know, five-mile intervals on the bike and, you know, maybe two-mile interval on the run and do a longer set. But um, it's just really fun. The kids love it because it's <laughs> just to keep them, you know, keeps them moving. entertained because they're constantly doing something different. But I found that my adults have really liked it, and... Uh, our YMCA actually allowed me to develop a winter class. So on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock, we have our brick workout, and we get on the cycling bikes at the YMCA, and we ride for so long, and then we go out to the indoor track, and we run for so long, and sometimes we add steps into it and, mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of cool stuff. But you just go back and forth and back and forth, and it's almost like a hit workout, like high-intensity workout, because your heart rate's just so up you know, and you're just constantly moving and it's yeah. an hour and a half long. Yeah. So and the I, whole workout is, a, and you can do any combination and that's the fun part of it. You can mix it up every week and change the distances on the bike and the run. And yeah, again, it's just a lot of fun. It's kind of so. like making pancakes for the family and everyone gets to add their own toppings. You can just mix and match different, you know, stairs, track, run, different distances. Right. Yeah, so that's probably one of my favorites, and now it's just everybody knows Wednesday's Brick Day, you yeah. know, so it just has become that way across the line for my adults, for my kids, and, you know, every week we just mix it up to make it a little bit different. Sometimes, like, some of my athletes will be like, 
Oh, you know what? I found this really great road, so it's a little bit longer. So I went a little bit longer on the bike, and I'm like, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. whatever works for you. Um, you know, just as long as it's fun and it's engaging and you're getting your heart rate up and getting a good workout in. And for an hour and a half, your kids and adults, I mean, that's a great endurance workout, too. Yeah, fun. For our older kids. And then the younger kids will do, you know, maybe 45 minutes of it, which is still a big workout for those kids mm-hmm. from my like 10 and unders and 11 and 12-year-olds. And with the younger... And then one of us... What's that? With the younger kids, how far are they doing uh, what would be typical bike and run distance for the 10 and unders? for a brick workout so, like this? Um, so yesterday, my 10 and unders had to bike a mile and run a quarter mile. Okay. And they did that four times through. So then they did like a two-mile warm-up and a two-mile cool-down. And it just ended up being, you know, a really nice day out. So it was like perfect. And mm-hmm. I kept getting videos from kids and, huh. you know, emails from parents and stuff. And they completed their workout. Or, oh, that's you fun. Know, some of the kids will send me pictures of them doing their workout. And, so cute. You know, it's, it's really nice to see. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So how about and a... F- the, go ahead. Yep. A favorite swim. Favorite swim. Um, I really like to do 200 repeats. Um, I just think it's a great distance, especially for endurance athletes. Um, so, you know, I like to do sets where we'll do, you know, five 200s and then you'll do, you know, a, probably like an easier, so like five 200s, maybe on four minutes. And then, uh, then you do a recovery 200 or recovery 100, maybe go into five more 200s that are 345 and, to me, like just breaking it up and like doing that build or making it a negative split set is just a really great way to build some power and build some strength. And mm-hmm. again, the 200 to me is like, it's just that distance that you, a 100 sometimes I think for endurance athletes is just a little bit too short, even yeah. though you can really build some great speed with it. But the 200 takes some grit to get through. Yeah, it forces and by the them time to. You get to that Forces them yeah, to go beyond the anaerobic um, energy systems and tap into the aerobic system. So they have to slow down enough that they're not just using muscle to get through. Right. It takes a lot of pacing. And then by the time you get to that fifth one, especially with my two-year elite athletes, they're swimming at 750. So, you know, if they're now doing a set of 1,000, you know, so by 200, because you're 1,000, mm-hmm. you know that they're kind of doing that little bit of overtraining that they need to have that endurance to get through that 750 swim mm-hmm. and get through it really strong. So that's, you know, probably one of my favorite swim workouts. Yeah. Well, that gives me an idea. One of my favorite um, test sets for endurance athletes is a 10 by 200. Um, and. Oh, yeah. You know, breaking it up into five, two sets of five by 200 with a slightly faster send off is just a slightly more interesting way to do it. So I may adopt that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, perfect. I love it. <laughs> okay. So we're left with run, favorite run workout. Or sorry, we did, did we do run? Well, I guess Brick was yeah. bike and run. So if you want, that can count for both. But uh, if you have another fun workout you'd like to shout out, go ahead. Yeah, so um, a really fun bike workout that I like to do um, because I'm always thinking about what do people need when they're out on the bike. And one of the biggest things, especially for my athletes who are going to nationals or worlds um, that are not draft legal, is you have to be able to pass somebody efficiently so you don't get a a drafting penalty because so many of these races are getting so crowded. So I like to do um, 
these sets where you do like a really long warm up of like 15 to 20 minutes. And I like to add in some one leg drills at the beginning just to kind of activate those muscles and get mm-hmm. people warmed up really well. Mm-hmm. And plus, I just think one leg it is a great drill to do. And then following that, uh, you're going to uh, 10 repeats of 40 seconds. Um, so you're going to do 40 seconds all out effort and then a 20 second recovery. And you'll do that 10 times through. And then you have like a 10 minute recovery. And then if you feel up to it, like from some of my older athletes, they can do that set again mm-hmm. and then uh, recover. And I just think it's a great way to teach people how to be able to go out and work that 40 seconds hard. Because if you're coming up on somebody, mm-hmm. you know, every time you try to pass somebody, there's always going to be that person that you're passing. He's going to try to kick it off a little bit. <laughs> right. And then you try to like, be like, okay, am I going to drop back? Am I going to pass? And you have to be able to be like, okay, listen, I'm trained for this. I can get by people. <laughs> yeah. So even in my indoor cycling classes, I'm always like, okay, we're going to do some 30-second pickups or 40-second pickups. You have 15 seconds to pass somebody. Uh-huh. So we're kind of overtraining this for you so that you have that time from the time you start behind them till you get past them that you can hold this for a little bit longer and be able to do those surges. So, right. I um, love that. I love so that. The specificity of that um, of workout, it's you're giving it for a very specific reason, which I think helps the athlete visualize that r- type of race setting so that when they face it in a race, they've done this hundreds of times before. Right. Yep. So that's one of my favorites. And then hill workouts, I've been doing this hill workout forever, but you pick a hill that takes about 45 seconds to a minute to climb. And at the top, you have to do 10 push-ups at the top <laughs> of the hill. And then you go back down. And I don't know why, but, like, all of my athletes just love the fact that they get to do push-ups during <laughs> the whole workout. So, uh-huh. you know, and you you can do it however you want, but it's, it has just become, like, a classic thing for me that, you know, whenever we do hill repeats, we do push-ups. And then sometimes we'll have squats in, too, like, we really just want to kill our legs and, you know, you might alternate, well, this, you know, odds we're doing push-ups, evens we're doing squats or, uh-huh. you know, whatever. But um, it's just fun to kind of add those extra little things into a whole workout and just know that it's a pure strength day. So. Yeah, that's great. So that's fun too. It doesn't take anything yeah. away from the hill portion of the, the run workout and it adds some variability and a lot of fun. Actually, a lot of people are like, I kind of like doing the push-ups because it gives me a little bit of time to recover, yeah. you know, <laughs> because you're using your arms versus your legs. And, mm-hmm. you know, even though you're using your arms a lot going up the hill, I, I think the recovery going back down the hill is nice. And I said, if you're already on the hill, you know, everybody's like, some people turn around and do it on the decline. I'm like, do it on the incline. It's oh. easier. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, come on, you guys need to think about how am I going to get through this? You know, right. I'm not going to kill myself while doing it. So, right. That's fun. Um, yeah. So it's, we all just, you know, mess around with it. And whenever I get to meet with my adult running club, it's, you know, it's just fun to add those little extra things in and mm-hmm. just know that we, we got a little bit of strength training into it. So if you don't get to your strength workout that day, you at least got your push-ups in. So. Right. Well, you've given me a little motivation. When I get done with this interview, I'm going to do some push-ups and squats. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, this has been a lot of fun chatting with you and we covered a, a bunch of different topics. Um, I hope that anyone who's listening is able to get something from it. Uh, I think we had something for, for everyone in this interview. Um, so thanks for taking some time out of your day to join me, Joella. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, giving me a call. I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. You bet. Uh, hope to see you in person sometime soon. I do too. All right. Bye-bye.
Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you really enjoyed that interview with Joella. I really enjoyed doing the interview, preparing for it, and listening to it after the fact to get this episode ready for you guys to listen to as well. Um, We've got some really exciting interviews coming up in the next several weeks. If you look on the website at try2listen.com, that's try2listen.com, our upcoming episodes include a brand new interview with Joe Friel that I just recorded about two weeks ago. I talk with Pete Jacobs, the Ironman World Championship winner of the men's race in 2012 with some really exciting information on how he's currently managing his training and lifestyle. I have an interview coming up with Steven Seiler. Steven Seiler is the, um, the scientist who coined the phrase polarized training. If you're not familiar with polarized training, you'll definitely want to tune in for that one. You can uh, tune in to my website, to see the entire list of episodes. Um, All the episodes that are listed there have already been recorded, and I've got several more um, on the schedule. So we've got enough exciting and educational information to get us well through mid-summer of 2012. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it. You can go to patreon.com slash try, the number two, and listen. Even just $1 a month will go a long way in helping to offset the costs of hosting, transcription, production, and the time that I put into each episode. I probably spend at least three to four hours per episode between preparation, communicating with the guest, doing the actual interview, and then the most amount of time comes after the fact in producing the episode for your, for your listening. Um, Please leave us a review on iTunes. It goes a long way as well to help the show get recognition and introduce it to other people. Consider sharing your favorite episode, especially this one with Joella, to your Tri Club and your friends. Ask them to listen as well. So once again, thanks for joining me. Thanks for giving me an hour of your day. And join me next time on Try to Listen. <laughs>